there's big fears among the building industry, real estate industry, but not enough is being done to improve the supply of new houses. According to the latest data, which was for November, the average cost to build now is 383528 which represents a 22% increase in that average cost of build since just at the time of pre-COVID. What is for certain is that this undersupply of new housing compared to the increasing population levels is only going to continue to put pressure on established prices and keep increasing them. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. Looking at where we're at in Perth at the moment, we've got a need for around 20,000 homes annually to keep up with our population growth rate. And there's big fears among the building industry, real estate industry, that not enough is being done to improve the supply of new houses. And many industry groups are actually demanding action. But before I go into some of those dynamics to help us understand them, why are we seeing so many people coming to Perth? Well, if you listen to my Perth Property Market Updates, you'd know that we've got really awesome fundamentals here. We're the second lowest median house price of all the capital cities. So we're really affordable to buy a house. And that's important, especially when interest rates are going up and the cost to borrow is going up. It's still easy to afford to buy in Perth. So that's attractive not only for locals, for uh, people to be getting out of renting to get into their, their first homes, also for those that upgrading you know we can upgrade compared to for a much lower cost compared to living in other states and it's attractive most especially for migrants because we've got this really affordable housing coupled with some of the highest average incomes in the country i think we've got the highest average income in the country and we've got one of the lowest unemployment levels so that means there's a lot of jobs on offer too Throw all those things together in a mixing bowl. We've got a very solid outlook for projects and our economy over the next two, three years. It's easy to understand why people are flocking to Perth and why we are needing these 20,000 homes annually. So when we actually take a look at what is the industry expecting for creation of new homes... The Housing Industry Association is forecasting 13,500 homes to be started in this 22-23 financial year that we've just finished. And to give you some comparison, that 13,500 compares with we had 18,200 in 21-22 financial year and we had 20,400 in the 2021, when the building grants were first released in that financial year. So we've had a slow decrease off, off of those levels that we experienced when the building grants first came. So we had 20,000 that first year, 18,000 roughly in the next year, and now we're expected going forward to have 13,500 in the year that we've just 
closing out. All the numbers are still coming together. And they're projecting to have slight increases in the coming two years with 13,800 and 15,700 in 24-25. The next three years and the past two years have all seen higher levels of building than we actually had in the previous four years leading up to COVID. So the building industry, this problem has not just occurred overnight and it's not necessarily just because of COVID filling up, making all the builders so busy and increasing prices and decreasing the availability of trades because they're all so busy. We actually had very little houses getting built in those four years leading up to 2020. And that, when we went into things, when we started getting our population growth back, that's where the demand has far exceeded the supply that we've got. And that's in part why we've also got a rental crisis because investors were not buying, properties were not getting created. And we, you know, have so few investment properties as well now with uh, a lot of landlords choosing to sell and get out of the market because they've wanted to over the last four or five years as prices are coming back. That's meant that a lot of landlords are getting out and that's a whole nother problem and a whole nother podcast. (laughs) But let's keep going into the building forecasts here. What I also found interesting and most notable is that the multi-dwelling approvals have fallen off a cliff. So they're only expecting 1,900 multi-dwellings to be constructed over the 22-23 year, but they are expecting it to start increasing quite considerably, maybe a little too optimistically, to 3,423-24 and 5,224-25. Now, those high-density options are really going to be needed to make up some of the difference when you consider that even... uh, when we're needing 20,000 homes, at the moment we're, we're lucky to be at sort of 16,000, 16 to 17,000 homes getting started over the next one to two years. So that's really going to leave a big deficit. And I'd argue that these uh, projections are fairly optimistic as well and uh, may be difficult to achieve on the backdrop of the sentiment and the cost increases and the other challenges that the building industry is facing. So these are building approvals for houses to actually start. The actual number of homes under construction that are unfinished has actually hit a record high in the recent months of around 21,000. So there's a hell of a lot of properties that are being constructed And it's really difficult to know from the top level data or any data that's available for that matter, when these homes are actually going to finish and complete. Obviously, when these come through, it will help to improve the supply of housing and help towards this 20,000 homes that we need per year. But it's really impossible to tell when that's going to be. And you only need to turn on the news at night to see that there's been long delays on a lot of these properties, some of them, you know, been construct- been under construction for two years already. And there's even class actions being taken out against one of the larger builders at the moment because of just how long those delays have been. So look, even if we manage to complete half of those 21,000 homes that are under construction this year, and we've got 
five months left of the year to do it. That seems a bit optimistic that that many would actually get completed. I don't know how many are going to get completed, but even if we complete half, it's going to leave a big shortfall on the 20,000 dwellings that are going to be needed for this year. Now, why is it taking so long in, in, in some cases for properties to be constructed? Well, the availability of building materials has been a big challenge. That seems to have uh, freed up the supply now and costs have stabilised for the most part on building materials. I'm sure that's an ever-changing thing, so depending on when you listen to it, to this, it could, could be changing again. But the cost of labour is the thing that's still extremely high and many builders have got themselves into trouble because they had fixed price building contracts and unfortunately they're calling it the boom that no builders profit from. There's an interesting article in WA Today where they analysed that ASIC records show that around 31 residential building companies in WA have actually collapsed over the last 12 months and, and closed. So you can imagine the pain that's involved for all the workers in those, the families involved, the the people that are building with them. No one would want to close their doors and you know some of these builders have been around for a very long time. Uh, 31 companies is no sh- small amount either. And while there is the building insurance builders sort of scheme that covers things, so that if a builder does collapse, you know, this insurance scheme in place that uh, you'll insure another builder can take it up and the extra cost is covered, I believe. So even though they will get eventually built, the issue is that it's going to cause obviously delays whenever that sort of thing happens. It's just extending out, stretching delays, giving more work to the existing builders that are all out there. From what I read as well, builders are struggling not only with getting the trades and getting them at a reasonable price, they're struggling with uh, cash flow of you know having enough money to pay them when they need to and some trades are holding them to ransom in that you know they want to be paid first before they do the job because they're worried about getting paid, worried about builders going broke and so that's uh, further impacting the builder's cash flow where they're having to outlay Imagine having to pay all your trades before you've been able to charge the client and receive that progress payment. So that's further making things very difficult for the builders to cash flow when some trades are so busy that they can hold these builders to ransom on on getting payment up front before they do their work. So that's a big issue. It'll hopefully fix itself in time. But I started out this episode talking about we need building levels to sustainably get to being higher to help cope with the influx of migrants and, and people coming into the state. And so we are well short on that 20,000 that we need per year. Where are the 3,000 people going to find a homes in, the, in that shortfall? So will it mean that they don't come to Perth? Will it mean that things start to, well, when they can't rent, we need solutions basically. So when I actually look at the average cost to build and what's happened to that over the years, we've gone from in 2001, we had an average cost to build of 125000 And then about a decade ago, the average cost to build was 270000 And as the pandemic began, 
in WA it was around 312000 So what is the cost, average cost to build now? Well, apparently, according to the latest data, which was for November, the average cost to build now is 383528 which represents a 22% increase in that average cost of build since just at the time of pre-COVID. So look, that's not a huge increase. Well, it's big and it certainly shows up and is hard for a lot of buyers to um, handle. But I think as much of the increase in price, the trouble has been the increase in time. So I can't find any stats as to the average times to build. But anecdotally, I'm hearing that most builders are saying, you know, two years is likely, and that's going to obviously depend on each builder. So you've got to really speak to them and find out the specifics. It's going to depend if you're going single level or two stories. And these prices, by the way, are for a single level average sort of home. And what we're seeing with this 383000 average price is that when we translate it through and look at the typical cost to buy land, the median house price for blocks at the moment, blocks sized 300 to 450 square metres, have a median land price of 265000 And then when we look at blocks greater than 450 square metres, and unfortunately these are the only sort of metrics I can get median land prices on, so the greater than 450 square metre Blocks are selling with an average median price, or rather, of 410,000. So that means that for a, even if we take the lower end, 300 to 450 square meter blocks at 265, we add the average cost to build onto them of 383. We're looking at 648,000, 650,000 median sort of price to build a property these days. So when we, consider that the Perth median house price is currently 555000 and that is around 15% lower than the median price to build a new property. While it's not a precise comparison, because we're not looking at exact same locations, exact same sizes, but it's giving you a feel to buy a new property, you're looking at about six fifty thousand, and to buy an established property, the typical sort of properties, median sort of properties, is five hundred and fifty-five thousand. That's a pretty big difference between established and new still. And then you've also got the hassle factor and the interest cost that is getting added on to the time that it takes to build that newer property. You can see why people are far preferring established properties where they can can buy it one that's going to suit their situation enough and when i look at these these numbers when we consider it's about 15 percent difference in overall you know prices between established and new the way i look at it and think about it is well if the cost of established properties goes up another 10 percent which i think it'll likely do over the next year and if the cost to build could come down by five percent or if we wait longer and the cost for established goes up 15% instead of just 10%, then if the, and why might the cost of, uh, of new go down 5%? Well, that could happen if labor, you know, costs decrease and if, we're, if some of this migration that they're targeting skilled labor 
and they're targeting all these apprenticeships, if that actually could flow through and start giving more options on the labour side and decrease costs, then that would be fabulous. But what I suspect will happen is that the demand will keep increasing in step and potentially outpace the labour supply at every point. So my real point here is that I think if established prices can increase by a further 10 to 15%, then there's going to be a, a much more comparable cost between established and the cost of new, and people might be willing to then at least wait the time for a new property. And um, that is what is driving the established market at the moment. And what is for certain is that this undersupply of new housing compared to the increasing population levels is only going to continue to put pressure on established prices and keep increasing them despite interest rates, despite negative media, despite all these things that could have slowed and stopped our market. Our market has continued and one of the main things underpinning it is this housing supply bottleneck and why I'm so confident that prices are going to keep increasing. So hopefully that all makes sense. If you do have any questions, get in touch. And thanks for tuning in. If you've liked this episode, be sure to give us a rating or review on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Really appreciate you tuning in. See ya. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.